0: You're at a place where, for the last several weeks, we've been seeing God move in a powerful way. Um, we've just been seeing God do things uh, supernatural, supernatural. And I've al- I've found myself struck by the reality that I'm surprised by the supernatural. And really, I think believers ought to be surprised when they aren't seeing the supernatural. Right? It ought to be abnormal when we aren't regularly seeing God move in power. It ought to be the norm that we wake up every day and go, I don't know what he's going to do today, but I know this, it's going to be supernatural. God's going to move in power. and So we've been seeing him move in our church in a powerful way. I, I, I would tell you that New Beginnings has been, and I think we continue to be in a season of, of revival, of awakening. Um, We're seeing the evidence of that all around. Uh, We're watching people find freedom from sin that they never thought they would be free from. Um, We're watching people get spiritual breakthrough in areas of their life and in their family. We're seeing people healed. Family, when I throw that out there, I don't mean they had a cold and got better. I mean God healed their body supernaturally. That's what I mean. And you go, I'm uncomfortable with that. I was too. Listen, I'm very, very, very Southern Baptist. All right, I'm just going to throw that out there. Y'all have heard me say it before. I am I'm so Southern Baptist, if you cut me, I bleed covered dish casserole. That's how Baptist I am, all right? But we've begun to see God express himself among us in ways to make sure that a preacher and a pastor and a minister dare not try to take the credit for it. Couldn't even if we wanted to. Couldn't even if we wanted to. We're seeing salvations. People be obedient to be baptized. Do you know over the last three weeks, 83 people through New Beginnings have been baptized? It's unbelievable. 83 people. Um... One of the things that's been so uh, special to me is when God would speak a word to someone in His church for the encouragement and the edification of His church. Um, it's been such a beautiful thing. We've seen it happen on the prayer gatherings we had all together in Longview. We've seen it happen on our Wednesday nights here where we just said, you know, God, if you want to speak a word to us, speak a word to us, and He would just impress on someone's heart and um, it's been powerful. I've, I've personally watched years of bitterness and unforgiveness just melt away off of people under the weight of God's grace and his love and his, his presence just falling on them. Maybe you need that today. I've watched marriages be strengthened I've watched husbands and wives for the first time in years just get honest with each other. Get honest with themselves about the fact that their marriage is struggling. Get honest with each other about what they're struggling with. And then get honest with somebody else to say, Would you get in the fight with us because we need this thing to survive and we're barely holding on? It's powerful. Maybe you need that this morning. If your marriage is a revolving door but you wouldn't be able to testify that it is a declaration of the faithfulness of God on display in your home. If that's not you, you need the Holy Spirit of God to get involved in your marriage. Because God gave you your marriage and designed your marriage for one purpose, to be a display in this world of His love and His grace and His nature and His character and His power at work in His people. That's why you have one another and you have a family. And maybe this morning you need that. I'm telling you, we're in a season where we're seeing God move in this way. This, the, these things are the evidences of revival. And so the question for us as we've, as, we've, as we've sat with what God's doing and we're trying to go, okay, Lord, this is unbelievable. The question that's come to our heart is this. How do we keep in step with you? That's a, how do we keep in step with you? That's what your elders are praying. When we meet and we talk, we're sitting in, and Lynn and we're sitting there and, and we, we have one prayer. God, how do we just keep in line with what you're doing? We don't want to move one inch away from what you are pouring out. That's the prayers we've been praying and the questions we've been asking. How do we stay in step with you? Last week, we asked the question, how do we abide with you? How do we linger here with you? And so the next few weeks, the answer that we've felt like the Lord has told us is, if you'll clear the table and just let me lead my people, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. And so uh, he's just impressed on our hearts that we need to spend a few weeks talking about the presence of God and what it means for us to have his presence and what is this thing that has been so important and critical for God's people for thousands of years? And why should every believer in this room see it as absolutely essential to your life? Why should every single believer in this room see the manifest presence of God? Uh, Yes, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, all the time, at all times. Yes, I'm with you. When I say the presence of God, I'm talking about that unique pouring out on you. I'm talking about that unique visitation where he just manifests himself to you in a real way, in a supernatural way. Where his presence is so real to you, you couldn't deny that you're with him and he's with you. How do I have that? How do I get in that? How do I stay there? How do I linger and abide in him. And so last week we we talked about abiding from John 15, and we said the primary way that we have intimacy with God, and the primary way we abide in his presence is through prayer. It's through prayer. We're gonna unpack that a, a little more today. And I know, I know what happens in this room. When you know we're about to spend some time talking about prayer, I know what happens. We've got it. Move on. I know what happens. Am I wrong? I'm not wrong. Y'all don't, nobody wants to shake your head. No, you're right. That's exactly what I'm doing right now. Nobody's going to admit that, but that is what happens in the room. I feel it. I sense that there's this thing that we go, okay. So I want to tell you, the moment you think you have it is the moment you'll stop pursuing it and the moment the enemy gets serious about you. The moment I think I've got this worked out is the moment I stop pursuing growing in it, hearing more of the voice of the Lord in it, increasing my awareness of it, growing in the power of it, growing in the urgency to have it. The moment I think I've got it is the moment I stop pursuing it the way the Bible tells me to pursue it and I want you to hear me this morning we're going to talk about spiritual warfare a little bit and I want you to hear me whether you pursue it or not the enemy will never stop the war he makes on you does not have a break on it he comes after God's people and that it is it isn't on us to win our victory It is on us to be in the presence of the one who gives victory. You can operate around the God who is victorious, or you can get in the presence of the God who is victorious. I know what I need, and I know where I want to be. So how do we do that? So the next few weeks, it's just going to be a series called His Presence. And every week... We'll have some way that that presence has an outworking in our life. And today we're looking at how His presence is our weapon. It's our weapon in this battle, this spiritual war. Um, How prayer and the presence of God are the weapons that we have for victory, for spiritual victory in this life. But family, I want to tell you, I think for most Christians, they see prayer kind of as the warm-up, to the Christian life. They see it kind of as the nice, easy, soft uh, uh, warm-up to this Christian life. How, how many of you played basketball in high school, right? Three of you played basketball. How many of you ever watched a basketball game ever? It's a round ball, you dribble it, you shoot it, right? When I shoot it, it goes in. I don't know what happens when you guys shoot it, but I'm, it's always just, you know. Um, you ever watch pregame? Uh, there's, what here's what you notice in pregame, not as much energy given in the warm-up, right? Uh, not as much intention giving to that. They're kind of just going through the motions of a drill or two, kind of half-hearted in engagement in that warm-up. Why? Because warm-up isn't the game. And it's so much easier to make all your shots in warm-up. Why? Because nobody's trying to stop you, all right? I always loved the guy, coach, who, who could dunk in warm-up but could never dunk in a game. You guys know that guy? Maybe, if you were that guy, I'm sorry. I'm not making fun of you. I am a little. I am a little bit, all right? The guy who would have to start at half-court and never dribble and just take off running, and he could dunk it, you know, if there was nobody to play defense. I love that guy. Um, I was jealous of him. But I think for many of us, we take that view when it comes prayer. We see prayer as the preparation, but I want you to hear me. Prayer is not just the preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. Prayer is waging war. Prayer is entering into the spiritual realm where spiritual battles are won or lost. That's what this is. And if you've been a believer long enough, um, and you've walked with Jesus long enough, then you know that what I'm about to say is true, and you've heard me say it before. You know that this Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. How many of you know that to be true? This is not a playground we're walking in. It's a battleground. So how do we have victory in it? That's what we're going to see today. Grab your Bible. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, this is a letter Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he's toward the end of the letter now, and he's kind of coming to the end here, and he's walked him through, the book of Ephesians is so powerful, he's walked him through all of these beautiful truths about who Christ is, and the gospel, and the home, and the family, and all of those wonderful things, and he gets to Ephesians 6, and he starts to talk about these seasons of hardship, and this this talking about the battleground of life and spiritual struggle, or what we call spiritual warfare. And I want you to notice what he says starting in verse 10. Ephesians 6, we're going to start in verse 10. If you're there, let me hear you say, "The The Bible is true. It is true. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, because that's true, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm." Multiple times Paul says in these verses, stand, withstand, stand firm. Three times he mentions that. Why? Because it's easy to stand when there's nothing of spiritual significance going on in my life. But when I come under spiritual attack and the devil starts trying to knock me off center, I need something steadying my feet. So Paul says we stand, we withstand, we stand firm. We hold on in those seasons. Well, how do I do that? How do we do that? Um, I want to tell you this morning that if you take your walk with Christ seriously, you go, well, why would you say that? Of course I do. Well, some believers do. Some believers, their walk with Jesus is measured by nothing more than a place they go on Sunday. But if you take your walk with Christ seriously, and you take trying to live a life of holiness and obedience seriously, and you take the presence of God seriously, if you do those things you are going to be stepping into a realm and you're going to be inviting. Um, You're going to place yourself in spiritual positions where the enemy is going to come against you. And there are a lot of believers who really have no idea what I'm talking about, about spiritual warfare because they've never sensed any kind of spiritual attack because they've never really done anything that threatened the kingdom of hell. But when you walk with Christ and you treasure the presence of God and prayer is essential to your life, it's not a last resort, it's your first position. And when you, yield, when you live yielded to the Holy Spirit and you pray in the Spirit and you ask for God to move and you rattle the kingdom of heaven so that you can overcome the kingdom of... When you do that, the enemy starts to pay attention to you. And so much of this is for those who realize you weren't called to a playground, you're called to a battleground. So how do we do this? How do we stay faithful? How do we have victory? How do we stand firm? It's the first thing I want you to see. We've already hinted at it, but I want to say it clearly. This Christian life is a spiritual war. You have to hold on to that reality. This Christian life is a spiritual war. Paul says in these verses that these times of spiritual attack, he calls them the evil day. That's what he calls them, the evil day. Here's what I would tell you. There are everyday struggles that we face, right? There are everyday frustrations, everyday disappointments, everyday weariness, everyday things that we struggle with and we face every day. And then there are times when we come under spiritual attack. Then there are times, I'm not talking about a mild inconvenience, I'm talking about major spiritual attack. That's what Paul is talking about when he talks about the evil day. Tony Evans said it this way, he said, the evil day that Paul is talking about is the day when hell comes after you because your name has come up. That's the evil day. Does anybody know what I mean and you have felt and walked through season when you go, yep, I know that. The evil day, spiritual attack, then it's, this is when it feels like your entire life is starting to shake and feel unsteady and be shattered. It feels like your family, your children are coming under attack. It feels like your finances are coming under attack. Your, your stability, your health, your joy, the dreams you have for your future, all of it. This is what we mean by spiritual Warfare, and this is what Paul is talking about in verse 12 when he says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. What he wants to be sure the people of God never forget is you are wrestling against something. You are wrestling. But it's not against flesh and blood. So, family, this is... People may be the conduit the enemy uses to attack you, but people are not the source of the problem. Oh, somebody may say a lie. Somebody may speak a word against you. Somebody may falsely accuse you. Somebody may speak poorly of you, come against you. But they're only the conduit. I want you to hear me. Before you see something in the physical, something unseen happen in the spiritual. And if people aren't the problem, they're the fruit of the problem, then you've got to get over the person so that you can get at the root. And the root is spiritual, it's supernatural. Paul says you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And boy, I get sidetracked by that. I'll get in my flesh (laughs) with the quickness, right? Paul says... We are wrestling against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This Christian life is a spiritual war. We have a very real enemy. There are entire segments of people who call, sections of people who call themselves believers who don't believe the devil is real and hell is real but Paul says there are spiritual forces of evil in heavenly in, in unseen places very real now yes I want to establish right now before we get too much further I want to say this as clearly as I can. Yes, we have an enemy. Yes, he is real. Yes, there is a spiritual battle. And yes, he is already defeated. He's already defeated, right? Satan saw the cross. Satan saw the resurrection. Satan knows He will not win, but he also knows he has nothing to lose in coming after lost people and trying to defeat, saved people. Satan knows he's going to lose the war, but oh, how he wants to win today's battle. He knows in the end he's defeated, but what he wants is you defeated today. He's going to lose the war, but he wants to win today's battle. And he wants to take as many people as he can with him to his eternal destiny, which is destruction. Paul says he's a powerful enemy, crafty. And he's always operating in this unseen reality around us. And I I don't know if that just if it's just me, or does that make anybody else in this room sit up a little straighter and go, ooh. This is why Jesus calls him a lion out to destroy and devour, right? Here's what I would tell you. I don't ever want to be too close to a lion at all. But if I got to be around one, I want him to be way far off. I want to see him coming and I want to know every step he takes and what he's doing, right? I'm not going to worry as much about that lion. The lion we fear is not the one we can see. It's the one who's doing things we can't see. You ever watch a lion hunt? Like a pack of lions? Um, They're very, very smart. What they'll tend to do is they'll tend to be as close as they can get to the herd of wildebeest or whatever they want to eat. They want to get as close as they can without seeming like a threat. So there's always this space they're always lingering. So if the herd moves, they move, but they're not they never get too close where the herd scatters until they're ready to attack. So they're always kind of lingering out here on the edge where they're, it's known that they are there, but they don't pose a direct threat yet. And then what happens is they start to move. A little bit closer. A little bit closer. They want the, the defenses to come down. And before they know it, a lion will be within feet of his prey. And then he's got it. And isn't that what the devil does? He lingers out here on the edges of our life, convincing us he's really not a threat. For some of you, he is lingering out on the edge of your life right now there are sin issues in your life, and he's just lingered out here with you, convincing you, you're fine. You're all right. Keep it a secret, because if nobody knows, then you can manage it, and if you can manage it, it's okay. That's a lingering enemy. And every day, he just wants to get a little closer and a little closer, and he wants your defenses down. He wants you to keep believing that lie, so that the day comes when... He springs the trap, and whatever that is costs you way more than you ever wanted to pay. But that's what he does. He just lingers out there. I think this is why so many people never never come to the altar. They never come and ask somebody to pray for them. Because the lingering enemy has convinced them your life is fine. They're going because there's something broken in them. But obviously, there's not really anything broken in you. That's a lingering enemy out here on the edges of your life, lowering your defenses. The moment you start to think I'm fine is the moment he takes a step closer. This is why Paul says words like keep alert, pay attention. This is why when Jesus brought the three with him deeper into the garden, he says, guard yourself, pay attention, be on alert. Can't you pray with me for one hour? Peter, the devil is coming for you. He's coming tonight. Peter didn't know that. But this is what he does. It's why we can hear verses from James that says, Confess your sin to one another and go, Nope. No. I'm not going to do that. I'll do almost anything else the Bible says, but I will not do that. That's an enemy just creeping closer closer. Because what the enemy knows is the moment you step out and you really do confess your sin to one another and, and you drag this thing out of the dark, into I have watched it happen in this room with my brothers and sisters that I love who have come down to this and put their hand in mine or put me in the bear hug and say, I, it's, I can't do this anymore. And they drag it out into the light and they invite somebody to get in the fight with them and to pray with them and invite the host of heaven to wage war in the unseen because they can't do it anymore. You cannot manage your sin you were either being set free from it or you were losing ground to it. There is no middle ground. And this, this is what Paul is saying. There's this spiritual war. There's a real enemy. Yes, he is defeated. And he loses the war, but he wants to win today's battle in your heart. Jesus knew Jesus saw this life as a battle between two spiritual kingdoms, right? Think about the prayer that Jesus prayed. The disciple says, Jesus, teach us how to pray. So what does he say in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then what's the next thing he says? Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is saying we want the kingdom of God to come down on this earth, the realm that we can see, and for your kingdom to reign and have rule like it does in heaven, the realm that we cannot see. That's what Jesus is praying. When he prays that, he is praying there would be an invasion of the kingdom of God into the enemy's territory. Why? Because this Christian life is a spiritual battle. So let's, let's hold that. Let's also hold the reality that if we are in a spiritual war then our ordinary effort will not do. It won't do. We have to have supernatural power first. Tim Paul says, "We have to be strong in the Lord." Believer, he didn't say be strong in yourself. He didn't say try harder. He didn't say read more. He didn't say go to more church stuff. He didn't say, give a little more. He said, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on God's armor. Pray in the spirit. All the while, Paul is saying, yes, there's a battle. And all the while, there is this giant arrow pointing us toward what we must tap into if we're going to have victory. Being around spiritual things is not enough. Church is not enough. We have to tap into the supernatural. How do we do that? How do we do that? Second truth, it's this. Prayer is how we fight this spiritual war. Prayer is how we fight this spiritual war. In verse 14 through 17, Paul, Paul goes on. He starts laying out the armor of God, right? Starts talking about putting on the, the belt of truth, putting on the breastplate of of righteousness and the gospel of peace as, as shoes for our feet and the shield of faith that extinguishes the lies and the darts of the enemy and the helmet of salvation. Now, I want you to pick it up in verse 17 with me, Ephesians 6, verse 17. Paul says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So Paul closes out this letter and this segment talking about spiritual warfare by calling the church to pray. He says you need to pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayers, in all supplication. Why? Why didn't he just say, read the Bible more? If that was enough, why didn't it say that? He talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He said that, but but the right next thing, the very next thing he says is, now you got to pray in the Spirit at all times, all prayers, all supplication. Why? Because prayer is how we put on the armor. Prayer is how we put on the armor of God. I have heard sermons all of my life about the armor of God. And I have missed for most of my life that prayer is how I put it on. Anybody with me? I've always thought picking up the belt of truth meant learn more truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness meant try to be more righteous. Right? Hold up the shield of faith. Try to believe a little more. That's the way I always felt it in my believing life. But Paul goes, No, your mind, your intellect, your will, your desire none of these things are enough to hold the truth the way it needs to be held, to raise your faith and increase your faith the way it needs to be held, to hold you steady in your salvation. None of these things can do that. These are supernatural realities. And they are only experienced in the presence of the supernatural. And the primary way that we engage the supernatural presence of God is in prayer. It's in prayer. That's how we have to do it. Now, I think it is very important to note in verse 17, there's only one offensive weapon that we have in the armor of God. There's only one. I don't want you to miss it. The sword of the Spirit. Which is what? What is that? It's the Word of God. This is the only offensive weapon that we have in all the armor. And it matters. We see Jesus wield this sword in the desert, right? In his battle with Satan. When Satan would tempt him, he would would come back with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. This is how David fought sin. David wasn't perfect, but the way David fought sin was he said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is what Paul told uh, Timothy, the young protege in the ministry. He said, Timothy, this word is beneficial and it's powerful to train you for righteousness. So the sword of the spirit is it's vital it's why every week we declare that it's true but here's the problem for too many believers they've become convinced that reading the bible is all they need to do if i just read the bible and know the bible then i'll have victory but the issue is paul said this is the sword of the spirit it's not the sword of my intellect It's not the sword of my knowledge. It's the sword of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, you got to pray in the Spirit before the sword of the Spirit has any authority to win victory in your life. The sword of the Spirit requires the presence of the Spirit. And how do I engage the presence of God? In prayer. Family, we got to make war on the floor. Are you with me? It's the Spirit that illuminates this Word. It's the Holy Spirit that shines a divine light on it and helps me see what my flesh cannot see. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms this Word. From an intellectual exercise to a supernatural transformation. It's the Holy Spirit that binds it to my heart. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals the deeper truths. It's the Holy Spirit that increases my desire for it. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches me how to wield it. How in the world would I wield a sword if I'm not spending time with the one who made it, wrote it, and put it in my hand? Should you read your Bible every single day. Is it enough? No. The presence of God in prayer is your weapon. The sword of the Spirit is your weapon. But it's just a thing you hold if you aren't asking the Spirit how to use it and how to wield it, right? Paul knew this. What did Paul say in the very next verse, in verse 19? Paul says, I need you to pray for me. Pray for me. That I would have the words to say. That I would... Preach the mystery of the gospel with boldness. Paul had all the intellectual knowledge, but he knew, I need more than that. I need the supernatural presence and power of the Holy Spirit to engage the Word of God so that I'll know how to go and plant these churches and walk on these missionary journeys. Paul knew he needed that. He asked the church, pray for me. So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? What does that mean? I think I hear that. I think you're probably with me. We hear that and we go, man, I don't know that I know what that means, but I would sure like to do that. I would like to be able to say my prayer life is marked by praying in the Spirit. I want to assure you of a couple things. One, the Bible would never tell you to do something the Spirit would not enable you to do. So praying in the Spirit is not some religious flowery language that is out of reach of your everyday walk with the Lord. It's just not. So how do we pray in the Spirit? What does this mean? I think it begins, praying in the Spirit begins with praying with the assurance that you have been accepted because of the blood of Jesus. So many people have no comfort in their praying, no power in their praying, because they're not confident their prayer is actually being heard. Am I talking to myself, or is there somebody else in this room? They're not confident. Why aren't we confident? Because we're not sure the prayer is being accepted. So family, the first thing you have to understand, and I want you to hear me, if you are in Christ, born again, You've met Jesus, He's the Lord of your life, and He has changed you. If that's you, your prayers are heard and you are accepted, not because of your righteousness or your sinlessness, but because you come into the presence of God clothed, wrapped, robed in the righteousness of Jesus. Therefore, you're accepted, you're received. And you go, But I got sin in my life, that's why we need the righteousness of Christ. That's what makes it so glorious It's so beautiful. That's why that little part in Jude at the very end of the letter matters so much when he says it's because of Jesus that we are presented, gifted before the throne of God, faultless and without blame. You go, well, how can it be true? I'm full of fault. I'm full of blame because you go wrapped in Christ. So if you're in Christ, praying in the spirit begins with praying with the assurance that I am accepted. Because of Jesus. Praying in the Spirit, I think, also means that you give a greater emphasis and a higher priority to what the Holy Spirit wants to deal with than what it is you want done. Are you with me on that? Praying in the Spirit means I'm going to give a higher priority to what the Holy Spirit wants to deal with in my life, no matter what it is, than I'm going to give to the things that I want done. I've prayed a lot of prayers that weren't in the Spirit because what I cared most about was having the things done I wanted, not being open to what the Holy Spirit wanted to deal with. So praying in the Spirit is being open, yielded, right? It's giving greater emphasis to Him. Praying in the Spirit means we're praying according to the Spirit's leading. Every Wednesday night, most Wednesday nights, we have a time where we sit in silence. You want to know why that's so important? Because, well, other than the Bible talks about silence, wait for the Lord. My soul waits for you in silence. In silence, my soul waits for you. We do that because there has to be a moment where we open our hearts to what the Lord wants to say. If my praying is only me talking, then how am I being yielded to what the Holy Spirit wants to speak? right? So praying in the Spirit means we pray according to the Spirit's leading. We're willing to say, Holy Spirit, I don't know everything I should pray for. Help me pray. Help me yield my prayer to you. Show me what to pray for. Show me what I need to deal with. Praying in the Spirit means we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. We recognize our flesh cannot send a prayer into the throne room of heaven, but the Holy Spirit can. We pray yielded to him. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. It's not some ethereal, unattainable thing. It's a yielding of your heart to His. It's a silencing of your voice to His. It's a realizing, because of Jesus, I'm accepted, so I really can approach the throne of grace with confidence. It's praying in the Spirit. And when we pray this way, we are inviting the host of heaven to fight for us. Did you know that? You are not alone in your battle against the enemy. But you will always feel alone if you aren't praying, opening the door and saying, God, I need the host of heaven to wage war in the unseen for me. That, it's essential. It's essential. Prayer is essential. The presence of God is essential. I love the story. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is the story of Elisha in 2 Kings uh, 6. 2 Kings 6, you guys know the story. Elisha is, or, or the king of Syria, is making war against Israel, just waging war against them again. Israel's being defeated. They're struggling, battling. And, uh, but somehow... Israel knows, starts to know every move Syria is going to make before they make it, right? And so the king of Israel would go to a place to wage war, and Syria, or Israel already knew they were coming, and they were ready for them. And the king of Syria is getting furious. So he calls his captains, and he calls his seers. He gathers them around and says, which one of you is the spy? Which one of you is for Israel? Because obviously one of you are going and telling them everything that we're doing. And his seers look at him and say, King, none of us is a spy. But the God of Elisha is telling him everything that you are thinking and doing, even the words you're saying to yourself in your bedroom when you're alone. That's what it says. The God of Elisha is revealing to him everything you're thinking and doing. And Elisha tells his king, and Israel gets victory. So the king of Syria goes, all right, then let's get Elisha. So he sends his army to the city of Dothan. Dothan is where Elisha and his servant lived. And so he sends this mass of an army to this little town where these two guys are, Elisha and his servant. And the servant wakes up one morning and he looks out of the house and all he sees is the army of Syria. And he freaks out. Elisha, get up. There's an army out here. We are under attack. The evil day has come, if you will. And Elisha's response is unbelievable. 2 Kings 6 and verse 16. Look at what Elijah very calmly says. He said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Remember, Elisha was not surrounded by the army of Israel. It was two dudes and the army of Syria. And Elisha says, it's all right, don't be afraid. Those who are with us. And of course the servant's going, those? Those who? It's me and you, man. I would love to know what you know. Those who? And notice what Elisha does. Verse 17, and then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And the servant goes, oh, there they are. The host of heaven was all around God's man. Even if they were in the unseen, Elisha wasn't alone. And the way that young servant came to realize it was through prayer. I believe it's Psalm 34 that says this, the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear Him and He delivers them. How do you hold on to that reality? Your flesh cannot do that. You hold on to that reality in the spirit, praying in the spirit, in prayer. That's how you do it. Some of you this morning, you feel what I'm saying when I say spiritual attack because this morning you feel it. You feel it. You feel it in your kids' You feel it in your marriage. You feel it in your job, your finances. You feel it in your health. And I want to tell you the strongholds in this life are not going to be broken by your knowledge of the Bible and church attendance. The areas of spiritual attack that you are under, you're not going to be delivered because you can quote John 3.16. It is very easy to hold a sword. How does it become a weapon when the spirit gets involved? Your lost neighbors, your lost relatives, hear me, what they need from you is not a more eloquent presentation of the gospel. What they need is for the people of God to get on their face before God and to make war on their behalf. And what you need is to make war on your behalf. And what you need are brothers and sisters to make war on your behalf. How do we do that? We pray in the Spirit. So here's what we're going to do for the rest of our time together. We're going to pray in the Spirit. Some of you have already decided, I ain't doing this. I want to ask you, would you be open to the Holy Spirit moving in your heart today like He's never done before? Are you under spiritual attack? If so, you need to pray in the Spirit. You need to let brothers or sisters get in with you. Is your marriage struggling? Have you become really excellent roommates? But the glory of God is not on display in your home. You need to let somebody get involved with you. Is the enemy sitting around at the edges of your life? Selling you lies like if you'll keep it secret, you can manage it. And if you can manage it, you'll be fine. Is he selling you that lie? You want to know where the freedom of that lie is found? Confess your sins to one another. Invite somebody to pray for you. The prayer of a righteous person is strong and powerful. And God moves mightily when we pray that way. Do you need supernatural power? Power. I asked you this question last week. I want to ask you this question again this week. Do you need to be awakened from a casual prayer life? Maybe this morning, all this talk of the Spirit and being in the Spirit and praying in the Spirit, you've come to realize you don't really have a relationship with Jesus at all. You want to know this stuff. You know there's brokenness in your life. You see it. You know your heart's broken. You know there's something missing. And you know you're not right with God. The first step is to just step out and say, I need Jesus. I want to receive the cross. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Some of you just need to be born again. So what we're going to do for the next little bit is the altar is going to be open. We're going to have some of our people standing over here, our encouragers just going to be over against the wall. just want to be available to pray for you. Some of you need to come to this altar and call on the name of the Lord and pray for the first time in the Spirit and say, Spirit, I'm going to yield to whatever you want to do. Some of you need to come, say, grab somebody by the hand and say, I need you to pray for me. Husbands, some of you need to grab your wife by the hand and go, we got to go pray. It's time to stop pretending that this thing is healthy. When you and I are going to, we got to stop lying to one another. Let's go get some spiritual involvement in the presence of God in this marriage. Some of you need to come call on the name of the Lord on behalf of your children. Some of you need to call on the name of the Lord on behalf of bitterness that is deeply rooted in your heart. There is a very real enemy and a very real war. And he is already defeated, but he wants your battle today. How do you win the war? Pray at all times in the spirit. Come and pray that God would help you put on the armor. Father, I, just, I pray for the next few minutes, Lord, that we would do nothing more, nothing more than obey you. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to your people? Speak to my heart. Speak to our hearts, God. Where there is pride, would you help us put it to death? Where there is sin, would you help us to stop toying with it? Where we need breakthrough, where we need healing, where we need to lay down a burden, where we just need to cry out to you, God, would you... remind us that when we are weak, that's when your strength comes. So help us pray in Jesus' name.